Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer, editor, and exceedingly enlightened individual, John Locke, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I wanted to thank everyone that has backed my most recent Kickstarter, Project Hoax, which is 140% funded as I speak. Dan and I really appreciate the support, and with two weeks to go, we hope that we can reach all of our stretch goals. If you haven't had a look yet, check it out on Kickstarter by searching for Project Hoax, or by following www.signalcomics.com forward slash hoax. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, John Locke. How's it going? Hello. I'm, I'm great. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, fantastic. Um, so how's your, uh, how's your week been? Uh, you know what? Uh, aside from occasionally getting soaked in some of the uh, glorious summer weather we're, we're, we're having. Oh, um, it's, been, it's been the best summer ever here in the UK. It's astonishing, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah, um, kind of in keeping with kind of in keeping with the theme of the podcast. It's slightly uh, like uh, potentious clouds uh, gathering overhead, but um, yeah. But aside from that, it's okay. Um, uh, yeah, ticking along. You know, the sun occasionally shines. I can't complain. Yeah, it's not it's not too bad. It's been a better week than the previous week, I think, weather wise. Uh, but Kickstarter wise, um, it's it must have been a busy week for you there. Yeah, I mean. Um, thank you that's, that's I, lo- I love these kind nice of segues segue. it's, um, it's amazing yeah um well well sam as, as as you mentioned i am currently running a kickstarter for afterlife inc volume five um and yeah we are i mean we're in a very 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 fortunate position in that we hit our target in the first couple of days or so which was which was amazing Epic. so it meant we could kind of just take the pressure off because every time Pretty much every time I've run a Kickstarter in the past, I've gotten ill in some way. Like, oh, no. I think it's just just the stress. Like, uh, I think it's all blurring into one. But like one time I ran it and I I think I developed uh, labyrinthitis at the end of it. Like I just got so stressed and, yeah. uh, you know, and then I, I just end up missing a lot of time off work because my head wouldn't stop spinning. And I swear... I can't even remember now. Thankfully, time has healed the the trauma of it. But I swear, like the next time, I got super ill as well. So compared to that, is actually it's actually wonderful to have a project where I've been able to just kind of breathe a little bit and 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 step back, which is nice. Um, uh, and yeah, and I, I hope um, I hope um, your time on Kickstarter has been relatively relaxing as well. Here's me lording it up with my uh, <laughs> my relaxing few weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, now that we've kind of uh, gone uh, above a hundred percent, as you say, kind of once it's got funded, then the stress is kind of relieved a little bit, and uh, yeah, you're just kind of uh, hoping for the stretch goals. Do you, really, do you ever? Now, do you ever get like um, the very kind of people who are who are drawn to create things on Kickstarter are maybe like the people who are least emotionally equipped to deal with being in the spotlight because quite possibly yeah because it's like oh hey like literally um i'm submitting myself to a month where my creative abilities and i guess also my self-worth is entirely judged by the amount of people who are willing to back my projects and i know that isn't true and that's a horrible way of looking at the world but i can't help but feel like that it's like i'm really you kind of put yourself out there and you just hope 
that people love you enough over that month to to kind of. Oh, I think it's human make... nature to think. Yeah. Like, to think that way, isn't it? And it's um, emotionally yeah, exhausting, it's, though. Isn't it's it? really. It's it's like literally quantifying it feels like it's quantifying your worth as a creator <laughs> really which is um, why which it would work so very... much better it, it would be worse but it would work so much better if we were all just really cynical business people like if you if it's like this isn't a labor of love it's a product and i'm just kind of forcing it out there but sadly like every you know every book you make is like oh this is my precious this is the one this this is this is it and then so is the next book and so is the next Next book, and you, you, it's just it's an emotional roller coaster. Why do we do this? Why do we keep making making these things? It's got to be an easier way to make a living. Oh, there is much easier ways to make a living, but uh, I guess if you if you got a creation inside of you, um, and you love comic comic books, then you know you can't help but want to create that and try to get it out there. I guess. Um, have Have you ever had? Have you ever had um, the conversation with your family or loved ones where when they when they when they finally come to terms with the idea that you you want to do creative things with your life and you're maybe not going to have the most sensible career? And when they've come to terms with that, do they ever say, like, why aren't you writing a book or, you know, why, 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 why? If you want to tell a story, why don't, why don't you tell like a proper story? Like, why, why, why are you doing comics? Uh, and that's a really hard thing to explain to people <laughs> like yeah definitely i mean i haven't had that exact conversation yet but you kind of get the feeling when you say that you write comic books that yeah people just instantly think oh I'll write for kids um yeah. although you know I've, I've written two all ages comics now um but uh you know uh, milford green isn't necessarily for uh for for children really um but uh yeah no um they just they don't think that it's it's a medium for for adults for some reason it's so it's so weird even now like even now with 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 pop culture being what it is it's like comics are weird like for lack of a better word that they are just weird and i think that's why i i think that's why i love them like there was always something so kind of almost almost forbidden about them yeah. like, certainly in the uk like it was like oh as a kid you're like oh you read comics so you mean like the beano and the dandy it's like yeah but i've also got a couple of those like weird american comics where you know like people like have action and, and adventure and stuff like that and they were so hard to come by like even finding one just felt kind of like special and illicit in some weird way it was strange it is it does feel like you're a bit of an outsider when you tell people that you read comics unless you, you, your your circle of friends kind of also reads comics which mine don't um oh, but, oh. You know, intro- introducing them to kind of you know the world um of of indie comics basically other than marvel and dc you know they kind of they find oh, yeah. it difficult to get it well that's where it goes isn't it you go like oh i um you know, oh, I, I make comics, and, and they go like, oh, you mean like, uh, you know, like kid kid comics? Like, well, yeah, kind kind of no, but I also I also tell some other Let stories. Let me show you this one, Redneck. This is about vampires. Yeah, or, or then they go, oh, so so you 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 tell you work on Spider Man, do you? I'm like, well, well, no, no, I, I, I don't do that either. Like, oh, so maybe like those Japanese comics? Do you do those? No, I'm like, well, what do you do? It's like I don't know anymore. I just. <laughs> 
like I just go to I go to these weird aircraft hangars like every couple of months and we put up a table and we sell we sell books and talk to people and they look at you like you're mad that's the really hard thing it's like every in, in every regular job I've had it's trying to explain to people it's like oh what do you do at the weekend oh you know like we did a bit of shopping you know had a nice weekend relaxed saw some friends what do you do oh i I, I spent like three hours driving to London and then I spent 10 hours behind a table and then I did that two more days in a row and then I came back here to come to work and they're like why it's like I really don't know at this point maybe I'm just a masochist it's like the pain will never be enough it is incredible um, and, and one of the things you actually did last year that um, I found incredibly useful um, and this is kind of in in way of introducing you John because we haven't properly introduced oh sorry yeah no you've you got to rein me in I'm, I'm going to talk too much here quite all right um but uh you you held um a comic summit last year which was which I found incredibly useful um oh as, as, a, as a newbie um listening back to all the um all the audio clips that you that you put up on the website i found that incredibly useful listening to all the panels um oh that's it, 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 genuinely that, fantastic that, yeah it's, uh, to my knowledge yeah. i'm i this is this is going to sound bad i admit i haven't looked at the website in a while it, yeah. i i'd like to believe it's still there kind of preserved in amber for future generations but i mean thank you i've got, I've got to say it's incredibly um i don't know it's incredibly warming to hear that that somebody did benefit from it i mean um yeah, it was it was just a, a crazy experiment just to see what we could actually uh, do, and um, I, I'd like to bring it back. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, sadly that um, uh, twenty eighteen was was uh, was kind of manic, uh, uh, both for me and 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 for Lucy, my wife, and mm. uh, and I guess for Big Punch Studios as a as a whole as a whole. Because um, sorry, this is me kind of hijacking the introduction, but like. Uh, <laughs> In, in between, because uh, Big Punch Studios, uh, my my uh, company, um, is myself, uh, there's Lucy, and then there's Nick, uh, Angel, and Ali. And the four of us, we're all, we all kind of create stuff. We all, you know, we all work together. We, 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 we right now, we, we live around the corner from each other. And for a, a few years, we all live together in one incredibly cramped house, uh, kind of, it was a real, real hot kind of hotbed of... Uh, of uh, creativity and uh stuff we had a lot of stuff in that house it was very cramped um but in like the span of like two years nick and ali got married then lucy and i got married then so the scarf 20 uh scarf 2018 we got married then we went on honeymoon then while i was on honeymoon i got i got a new job which is a pole thing in itself and then i came back started a new job then we moved house, uh, and somehow, in all within that year, um, we also published four issues of our magazine, Extraversal, which was keeping us pretty, which was keeping us pretty busy. Oh yeah, and we put on the Comic Summit, and on top of all that, I was like, that that's been that's been quite a year. Uh, <laughs> maybe need a bit of time to decompress. Yeah. So. Um, a lot of people were saying like, "Oh, are you, are you bringing the summit back in 2019?" And I was like, I "Am I? I like where, who am I? Am I? Did I even remember to dress myself today?" And um, the answer was no, not in 2019, but hopefully, hopefully in 2020, because cool. um, 
yeah, it was. We had some good ideas, and and a lot of people have come up with amazing ideas on how to uh, improve it as well. And I'd, I'd love to do it again. And there's a lot of people who have very kindly said they'd, they'd like to get involved and and um, help. Um, yeah, to help make it even even better. So yeah, never say never. It will return in some. Well, that would be fantastic. And for the listeners' benefit, you can the the website still is up there. I've just gone onto it, um, and it's comicsummit.wordpress.com. Um, and if you go onto the resources page, um, all of the MP3s are there um, that you can you can download uh, with links to YouTube as well. Um, I don't know if the video is there or is it? Oh, um, I hope it is. He said. I know we ne- we didn't actually record video, but no, we, no, we, we record video, but the audio. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, I hope is it there is on YouTube as well. Yes, it is. Grand. Uh, I've checked the system. That, works. So. The system works. Go. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I highly recommend downloading all of that if you are a creator, because uh, it's a it's a fascinating insight. Because the panels were were usually about three or four people, right? Um, and you got all sorts of um, subjects there, from uh, ask a day jobber um, to to money talk as well. Um, so uh, some uh, some fascinating subjects. There's ten in total. Uh, so kind of basically covers everything to do with being a creator <laughs> and the next step is profit yes <laughs> like just just listen to all 10 listen to all 10 panels and and then go find comic success it's really it's really that simple yeah 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 that's it <laughs> totally linear um excellent um and then also um of course as well as the comic summit um you mentioned there about big punch studios uh where can people find that uh that is uh com, or just give us a google um and yeah and that's got links to uh basically everything we do from uh comics so after i think which is my baby uh seven string which is nick's baby extraversal or catamarang or all the stuff we do on uh the print printer on the screen and then our podcasts as well uh so yeah we we like to keep busy at least very busy um and of course your uh your kickstarter at the moment um which is volume five of of afterlife inc um the the link will be in the show notes so people can click through there or you just thank you, thank simply, you. simply search for afterlife inc um that's inc um as an incorporated <laughs> um and just to kind of give the uh the listeners a bit of a taste of what is afterlife about oh okay well um afterlife inc is a tale of a con artist named jack fortune who dies discovers an afterlife in chaos and then decides to take over and run it like a business and it's all about the trials and tribulations of trying to modernize the afterlife while dealing with uh, the dark secrets of the heart of their world like namely who built this strange afterlife and what happened to its former rulers and uh yeah because i like a good pun it is afterlife inc a company you can believe in and um yeah, and and in, incredibly, we're on uh, we're on volume five, um, which is also technically the seventh book we've gotten out because there's five volumes in chronological order, but then there's also uh, a crossover book called The Heavenly Chord, which came between books two and three, and was a crossover with the world with with the world of Seven String, Nick's comic, uh, which is about a world where music is magic and that is the book which spawned both a shared 
multiverse and um and the company because we foolishly we did this really stupid crossover which was a hell of a lot of fun and one of the most enjoyable books i've ever worked on and we left it in canon and then we're like oh crap <laughs> like we now oh my god we did we did end game like eight years in advance or so so now um uh yes yeah, so and then we're like well there's the only sensible thing to do is to form a former company and and Varesk is is i guess history yeah kind of amazing it's been a weird ride Oh, yeah, sure, man. But that's uh, that, that's the most, uh, the best, and most interesting uh, stories. Um, kind of, you know, going here, there, everywhere, um, and then ending up where you are now. Um, and uh, all credit to you. It sounds like you've put in an epic amount of work over the past several years, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say that it's, it's paying off. Well, I, yeah, I, I say we are we are rich in. <laughs> Riching spirit, if not in uh, direct coin. Um, sure. You know, co- comics are a weird business, and I, we've been we're, we're just coming off the end of um, quite an incredible kind of four years, really, because we, um, yeah, like um, we were working on our we were working on our graphic novels. I was working on Afterlife Inc. Nick was working on Seven String and Catamarang, and then when the four of us came together, and we were like, how can we really combine and enhance the things we do as a as a quartet uh we started to think about new projects we could start and um one of them was our card game so we we made a card game called sandwich maskers which was one of like the first projects we ever did which was entirely all four of us like all contributing something different and all bringing up something from like an idea through to finished product and, and uh and we also launched extraversal where we're like hey what if we tried to break break the system of being reliant on comic conventions and what if we made a quarterly kind of full color comic magazine and then we posted it to people via a subscription service and we were like yeah sure and uh, this won't be this won't be extra work this would be cool we'll just be like if it takes us a year to make a graphic novel we can make four 46 page comics in a year and this will be fine we can just do this and incredibly we did that for four years and we somehow always managed to get an issue out uh even if it nearly killed us and it, and it did it did nearly kill us a couple of times like i got i got ill in the middle of this yeah i got ill in the middle of this and and um it got to a point where we were like is is there an ending site here like is this going to carry on indefinitely and we realized that like with issue 16, so our fourth year was one massive uh, crossover featuring all the characters from Extraversal plus uh, characters from After I Think plus characters from Seven String. And it was this big year long event called Perfect Storm. It was a complete coincidence that this came out in the same year as Infinity War. Uh, <laughs> I do not hold a grudge against Marvel for copying us. And um, we did it and it ended on this lovely kind of ending and we're like you know what this is perfect let's call it a day and we did and and we stopped so so now yeah sorry as you can tell like i I feel like i'm still coming down off off that high where for four years we were working absolutely flat out and and now we're like let's let's pause for a bit like let's actually take a moment to stop yeah And, and yeah and on top of that you know like i said we got we got married we uh you know we moved houses we 
change jobs, all that kind of stuff. And we're like, we need some time to breathe and, and work out what the hell we're doing next. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are right now. Um, we're, we're slowly collecting extraversal as, um, graphic novels, which we're bringing out, um, year one, uh, yeah, year one is we, we kickstarted that a couple of years ago. Uh, we'll bringing we'll be bringing out year two, uh, later this year. And Extraversal currently lives on as um, one of our podcasts. We're doing um, a fortnightly uh, podcast called Cuckoo's First Flight, which is set in the universe of Extraversal. And we're kind of playing and building a new RPG system from scratch. And we're making the source book and all our campaign notes available via our Patreon so people can play along at home if if they want. Uh, Yeah. So I tell you what, I am. I sorry. I will shut up now. This is this is what happens when my monstrous ego just kind of like starts <laughs> leaking out. Um, that it's all good. You got so many avenues going on um, creatively that um, you know it's uh, you got to get it all out there, and um, it's fascinating. I'm gonna have to start listening to that. It sounds like a like a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I guarantee that if you tune in, you will uh, double our our listenership, and that would be much appreciated. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm I'm not a psychologist, but I think in those kind of moments where I start to armchair analyze myself, I'm like, it's no kind of wonder that book five of After I Think is all about broken, tired people, kind of like <laughs> reflecting on their recent lives. Um, yeah, it's very um, it's very Freudian. It's all just it's all just leaking out onto the page. Yeah, I, well, I think creativity generally is, anyway. Um, even if it's completely subconscious, um, when you create stuff, it tends to kind of reflect on who you are as a person, you know, in some shape or form. Um, but uh, anyway, enough of Sorry, uh, yes. analyzing and things. Um, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for you. Um. I'm afraid here, John, and uh, that's because uh, there's actually been a uh, an artificial intelligent uh, robot empire that's taken over the globe, um, kind of in you a Judgment Day style Skynet. Honestly, you can't. It's a good thing this is an audio medium, Sam, because I'm shaking my head something fierce right now. That has <laughs> that has really ruined my day. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, and my first question to you is, uh, what's your action plan for survival? Well, thankfully, I from from a young age, I, I, I feel I always felt somehow that it would come to this. Like, and I knew I knew there would be a time when happen. I knew there'd be a time when humanity would come knocking. And I, I didn't want to be found. You know, I didn't want to be caught short when destiny called. So. I've been, I've been um, I feel like my entire life has been training me for this moment. Uh, pop culture has taught me that if you wish to defeat uh, an AI or a robot uprising, as it will, there's really, there's really only one question you have to ask your robotic overlords, and that's really, what is love? So I kind of imagine when I'm cowering in the, um, in these kind of like uh, dusty ash strewn streaks you know while this this kind of like mechanical pincer like creature kind of lumbers over me i'll just i'll just kind of i'll reach up and i'll go wait <laughs> what is love <laughs> and this robot will, will kind of like just like kind of like pause for a minute and it will go uh uh i i don't know and then i'll, I'll just reach up and i'll gently caress its face and i'll go let me show you 
and 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 that will be and i will i will turn war into love and i will will seduce the robots (laughs) epic um and then what would be your position then with the with the robots would you become their leader do you think i i choose to think kind of like a uh uh I, I feel, hmm. I say like a concubine is probably probably what springs <laughs> yeah, to mind. But but I'd I'd be like the power behind the throne, like you know me and me and Computron. You know I'd be like whispering into its uh, into its microphone receiver, and I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, crush Australia. You know, there's, they've gone away <laughs> with it for too long. They thought distance would save them, but we have paddles, <laughs> and so we must crush them. Yeah, basically, yeah. I would funnel. I would funnel research into a new breed of uh, loving, deadly robots, and because they know love, they finally understand loss, and that makes them more effective killers. Amazing. Um, and uh, whilst you're 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 kind of uh, planning your uh, destruction of Australia, um, you, you start talking about comics with your <laughs> with your um, computer, my, my... Or, or computron. I think you, yes, you said computron. Yeah tender but you know he has edges firm but fair um <laughs> and, uh, the first question that computron asks is uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying um well uh, this is weird like um the first comic i remember both loving and having a profound effect on me was um sonic the comic um did you ever did you ever read this as a, as a youngster I growing didn't. up in the uk no, not at all are you no. familiar with Sonic the comic, and not the comic. Um, with Sonic the character, of course. But yes, I, I, I never came across the comic. No, this was a revelation for me because I mean, like growing up, the only com- like really young, the only comics I read were like uh, Dandy, uh, Bino, yeah. uh, Buster. You know, loved them. They were great. Had no issues with them. Um, yeah. I even had some Thomas Tank Engine comics. Uh, I had nice. uh, a couple of UK Spider-Man comics. And then I remember like a lad I sat next to at school brought in, I think it was something like issue 72 of Sonic the comic. And I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Like as a kid, I loved Sonic the Hedgehog anyway. Like me and my friends, we'd play, you know, we'd go around, I'd go around my mate's house, we'd play like um, Sonic 2, Sonic 3. Like we'd just play on the Mega Drive like all weekend. All we were really, we, yeah, we were really cool. Like we, we just, we just loved it. And, um, this comic was like nothing I'd ever seen because it was, and I remember it vividly, it was the la- last part of a multi-part time travel saga, for lack of a better word, in which Sonic and the Chaotix crew, who were a posse, nice. of, posse of other characters who he hung out with, and their friend, the Omni-Viewer, so bear with me here, the Omni-Viewer was like a floating flat screen plasma tv uh with a face uh, a kind of like a, a screaming 90s comics kind of extreme face kind of floating on the screen and by hopping inside the omni viewer by kind of stepping into the screen and into like this realm within they could travel in time and space and basically robotic the robotic versions of sonic called the metalixes had taken over the planet and had gone back in time to mess with the timeline. And so to stop them, Sonic and the Chaotix crew had to go back in time to try and work out what they were doing. And they were trying to prevent the creation of Dr. Robotnik, 
right to change the timeline so if you wow. sound if you sound confused imagine how like nine-year-old john kind of felt looking at this <laughs> what is going on <laughs> because it's like i recognize his character but what the hell is happening and i mean long story right. short yeah i mean long story short like it turns out that in um in the early 90s um sega licensed um a uk company to produce a sonic the hedgehog comic and um for whatever reason they gave them absolutely no editorial oversight and um so the first like few issues are very much like oh i'm sonic and i'm running through the green hill zone it's all very you know you know kind of like kid friendly and sunshine uh, and rainbows sunshine and rainbows and then things just took a hard turn left and wow. it it was insane and um this was mostly the work of um Nigel Kitchen, who was the writer, and uh, Richard Elson, who was the primary artist. And um, Richard Elson has worked uh, for Marvel. Uh, he's drawn Thor for a bit. Um, yeah, I think he worked on some of those UK Spider-Man comics that I, I kind of, Great. you know, had also read. And it was like the weirdest thing. It was like Sonic by way of Jack Kirby, by way of like 80s uh black and white uk comics like 2000 ad and warrior and stuff like that and they they just they just told like the, this cosmic saga that went on for hundreds of issues and it blew my mind like i'd never read anything like this before and i i just became hooked and it came out fortnightly and i i just devoured it like i couldn't get enough of it that's amazing and then how long did it run for i think it was approximately 10 years was it like 93 to 2003 or something yeah, I think towards the end, because um, there used to be like four, four four stories per issue, and they'd all have like a different, I don't want to say different continuity, but they'd all be like following a different storyline. Like one story's about Sonic, one's about Knuckles, and I remember in issue 100, they did a big crossover. You, you know, it was like, saying it out loud, I realized that my entire career in comics has basically been copying this in one form or another like i made my own sonic the comic it just happened to be extraversal in fact the very very first comic i ever made was in primary school and it was cool and it was a sonic the comic ripoff like a shameless ripoff of course with, with yeah. me, to, me. as a kid oh entirely yeah like um i had a completely legally distinct character called donic the porcupine and um <laughs> we and that comic was called big punch and that's Oh, where okay. that's where we got the name of our studio that's beautiful something uh something proper came out of it so it was all worth it I, I would actually i would actually say that if anyone is you know if anyone isn't familiar with sonic the comic and has just listened to the insanity that fell out of my my mouth um <laughs> it, it's well worth tracking down just to see what happens when you give two very creative people complete freedom to mess around with a beloved a beloved mascot and um uh, there's actually um uh, a new podcast which has just launched um uh, dave bulmer uh, is uh, the creative mind behind it and it is a complete recap of sonic the comic and um wow. yeah i'm i'm actually i've yet to dive in but i'm i'm about to and i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting my childhood Definitely, you're gonna to have to check that out. Sounds it's insane. Like oh, it's brilliant! Like, ah, oh, it's got a real place in my heart. I loved it to bits. Nice. 
Nice. Um, and so, uh, going on positive emotions, uh, the next question that Computron asked, <laughs> uh, what's the what's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Now, I've got to say, like out of um, all the comics that um, I had to think of while Computron was um, asking me these questions, um, I found this one one of the hardest because I, I I feel like I'm generally a miserable person who laughs a lot. Like I'm an odd, I'm an odd kind of, you know, like I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm never far from like, like laughing or crying. And yet I really struggled to think of a comic that had kind of like tickled me or certainly like a big, uh, a more uh, mainstream or, or a wider release one that really did it for me. And um, after kind of weighing up a few candidates, it occurred to me that like pretty much like the funniest comic I could remember reading was uh, Now We Are Running by james state and um if um yeah for anyone who's not familiar with james uh, james is uh, kind of like a, a luminary of the uk comic scene and he's also one of the most like i genuinely like nice and humble people you could ever meet like he's which is which is which is mad in a way because he's so talented it's it's, it's it's astonishing um he um he's now working for the phoenix uh, he's drawing um yeah, he's drawing a Gorbra, which is um, the Adventures of Gorbra, and Gorbra is a um, a barbarian chef. So he's kind of like uh, Conan the Barbarian meets Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> and I had had the pleasure of working with James for um, several years on um, in the pages of Extraversal, where he he drew a comic of ours called Ninety Nine Sorgs. And uh, uh, yeah, just he's. It's something about his humour. It absolutely gets me. And and now we are running is a, a um a little like it's kind of hard to describe. It's like a little it's like a collection of little vignettes and weird little stories that he came up with um mm. just from his own kind of warped imagination. And um it, it it's almost impossible to describe. There's a there's a bit of like eighties nostalgia in there, but like um it's just this weird little it's like a sketch show in a in a book. And I just remember, like, absolutely losing it when I read it, like, just constantly going back and just grinning like an idiot. Like, the opening and closing skits are um, James himself performing stand-up comedy, like, just in front of an audience. And uh, the audience isn't really receiving it. One of those uh, one of those kind of, like, skits ends with um, Jake Sully from Avatar leaping on top of him and uh plugging in his kind of weird brain tentacle into james and then kind of flying james around the room there's also a recurring sketch around about the arnold schwarzenegger's three stunt doubles from the 80s who all had plastic surgery to look like arnold schwarzenegger (laughs) just because arnold schwarzenegger's action career was ending so you've got three men three beautiful men who look just like arnold and yet have no career so they travel the world righting wrongs and helping people. And then there's an ongoing series about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg uh, behind the scenes while they're making their movies and how they're both just a bunch of like uh, immature like pricks, for lack of a better word. Like, <laughs> it's really good. It's so good. And uh, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it's still out there. You can get hold of it. Like, if you've got a copy, um, treasure it because... James is, yeah, he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And also, like I said, one of just the nicest and uh, he's, he's the kind of person where I think if you pointed a gun at him and said, tell me a joke, I think he 
just be like, I don't know, I don't do jokes. And yet you give him a pen and everything he writes is, is, is solid gold. He's, yeah, he's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. That's awesome. Because, um, yeah, I did have a quick look at it. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, the true um, origin story of E.T., and stuff like that, I think, is one of them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that I think you can kind of preview on the on the website. Um, and, yeah, no, that just looks absolutely hilarious and uh, kind of out of this world a little bit, um, kind of like melting of uh, of movie and um, and James's life by the sounds of it. I, I feel like it's maybe whether he intended it or not and this is coming back to like being an armchair psychologist i think there's a lot of james's head on the page like if you cracked it open this is basically what i think is going on behind his eyes at any any one moment like and i don't know walter mitty yeah it's not yeah it's not like (laughs) i don't think it's a bad world to live in you know i think that's like a pretty you know if that's the way i saw i saw reality i'd be quite happy amazing amazing and so uh computron um now wants to kind of start to understand humanity from from all kind of perspectives and so we're changing emotions to uh what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read um now there there was there were a couple of close contenders here but um and god damn it i I cried the other day reading a completely different comic and that's not the one I chose <laughs> but probably the most consistently moving comic I've read is uh, Day Tripper by uh, Gabrielle Barr and Fabio Moon and um, have you have you read it? Are you familiar with no. it? No, no, I haven't read it, no um, I'm, I'm, probably coming ac- that, but... I'm probably coming across as incredibly well read i'm not i'm not believe me like this is just I, i've just been lucky to stumble across these things um <laughs> uh day tripper is it's kind of high concept it, but very relatable very human it is it's about a man whose job is to write obituaries and there's really there's really nothing fantastical in the book it's, it's very down to earth but it was a short it was a mini series but the, the the gimmick if you will is that every issue in the mini series looks at a different stage in this man's life mm-hmm. so he's a child he's a teenager uh, he's a he's a young man he's middle aged he's an old man and, and 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 they're all told out of chronological order but the the gimmick is that at the end of every issue he dies and it's kind of it's meant to be like if you looked at your entire life as long as one long story, like you, you're you're always you're always living in the moment. You're always like, this is my life right now, and, it, and then it changes so subtly around you. You don't even realize it's happening, and it's only when you it's only when page by page you don't notice a difference. But it's only when you look at your life in different chapters that you see how much you've changed or how how far you've you you've kind of come. And the question the book asks is, if you died at any one of these moments in your life, what would your obituary be? So, you know, we see in the first, the opening chapter, it it comes across quite kind of straightforward. Like he's a, he's a guy in maybe like his early thirties. He's, he's working for a newspaper as a, a writing obituaries. He really wants to write a novel. He feels a bit kind of like, faded like he's not really 
achieving anything and then through a complete freak occurrence he gets shot in a in a in a failed robbery right. and and that's not a spoiler because that's that's issue one yeah. uh, and then and then every issue ends with his obituary and it's like if your life ended at any one point what would it mean like how who would you affect by being gone and it, it's yeah. it, it's it, 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 it yeah it really just it's, it's astonishingly moving and and of course, you, you bounce about his life. So you see, you start, and he's a middle-aged man. Then you see him as a child or as a a young buck, kind of like getting out there and trying to make sense of the world. And 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 then you you kind of like you see him die like a a hundred different ways. And then you also see him as an old old man, kind of like looking back on his life and reflecting on it. And it is it's a work of art. Like it's absolutely it's absolutely astonishing. And um, yeah, you just, you just kind of get sucked into it. It's the kind of book where I, I revisit it every now and then and I think, oh, I'm, I'm just going to read a few pages. And then, yeah, and before I realize it, I've, I've read the whole thing and I'm probably crying by the end of it. Like, it's it's just so, yeah, it's just so moving. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's frustrating as well because you look at it and you think, oh, you, you bastards. Like, this is a really, really good piece of work. Like, yeah. like it, it is, it's got the makers of this. Um, but then you're too busy smiling and crying to, you know, <laughs> to blame them too much. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's just uh, amazingly poignant and, and insightful to to kind of come up with that concept, I think. Because that's the type of book that oh. like, kind of makes you question your own life, I guess. Um, which you know, for for a creator, is is an incredible achievement. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and and it's just, yeah. I, I think it's maybe maybe just like where I was, like when I when I when I first read it, and mm. you know, as you as you start to get older, and you you real and sorry, this is going to sound like the most like stupid thing in the world to say, but as you realise, like you're not as young, you're not as young as you were. And kind of, and hopefully you're not as old as you will be, you know, in this weird way, you're like life starts moving a little quicker and you're like, oh, like, I know this is like what every, every person on the planet from the dawn of man has gone through this. This is, this is literally just like the process of aging and the process of kind of like touching people's lives and them touching you. And, and yeah, and it, it's really, I think that's why it's such a powerful book because it's, it's just so kind of human it it just it, it relates to everyone even even though yeah we're just kind of seeing seeing the life of this one guy you know mm. and his life experiences are different to everyone else but they feel universal because yeah he loves he he loses he he succeeds in things he feels like a failure it it's everything it's really yeah talented swings it's really really good Brilliant. Um, and so Computron uh, moves from uh, understanding uh, sadness and things like that and now wants to understand, um, I guess, being scared. And so um, <laughs> Computron asks, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic? He's trying to figure out how to absolutely terrify Australia at this point, I think. <laughs> uh, I... Yeah, this is a this is a weird one for me because I rem- I remember having like uh, an English teacher uh, when I was when I was younger who um as a complete side note didn't 
didn't think especially highly of comics, which is which is rather short-sighted of of, of them. But um, I remember say, them saying that a book would always be scarier than uh, a film because nothing could be more scarier than what's in your head. Like you know, your imagination will always be greater than someone else's. Um, with that in mind, I don't think I read uh, a comic which has which has outright scared me. And I think that's got something to do with the medium. For me, yeah, I feel you can control the pace so much. You can flip forwards, backwards. You, you're in control at all times when you're reading a comic. And for me, at least, I think um, uh, fear is being in control. But at the same time, I have been horrified by a comic. And I, I have been kind of uh, revulsed. I have been repulsed. I, I've... Yeah. felt sick after reading a comic and that was um that comic was the filth by grant morrison and chris weston uh this was at a time in my life where i recently discovered the work of grant morrison and uh, believe me i think we'll be talking more about him as yeah. the uh, <laughs> um it's safe to say that his work was kind of uh quite a formative experience discovering his work was quite a formative experience for me and um I going from as a, as a teenager, I was like, oh, wow, like there are different weird comics out there. And I'm going to and this Grant Morrison guy, he's the first time I've ever noticed like a writer. And I'm just going to like track his work down and, and consume it. I know. What's this book? The, the Filth. I bet this will be fun. It wasn't fun. Like it was. It's a re- <laughs> have you read it? I haven't, I haven't read this one, though. No, no um, it sounds terrifying. It, <laughs> it is. I, I want to say it's more kind of sickening it's like um it's part of like a loose trilogy i say trilogy i think he refers to it as a trilogy works that grand morrison did he did the invisibles he did uh he did a flex mentalo and they're all works which are pretty a little impenetrable like a little hard to get into and often a bit nightmarish sometimes, but the filth is basically like the the low point in that kind of in that emotion. It's all about the sickness of humanity. Like it's it's literally like the worst things that humans have ever done or come up with or have ever wallowed in. Mm. Kind of just brought him one other than Chris Weston actually illustrate because he's the perfect fit for it it's a book that kind of makes you feel a bit ill reading it and um i I guess if there is a plot it's about a a man who lives a grotty for lack of a better word a grotty grimy life where he, he lives alone with his cat uh he's the typical just dirty old man he's got oh yeah it just kind of makes you sick kind of seeing his house and the way he lives and and then out of the blue, he's recruited by these weird technicolor kind of like fetish, uh, fetishy kind of secret agents who all wear really weird, slightly unnerving costumes. And they're like, you're not this boring man. You're actually uh, this incredible, super secret spy who works for uh, the filth. He works for, you know, the 
the hand who works for these people who keep reality kind of safe. And it turns out that every threat they deal with is kind of gross or disgusting in some way. Like, um, uh, oh, yeah, and it's, it's pretty graphic. It's, it's pretty, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, first time I read it, it was a bit of an ordeal. Like, I wasn't really emotionally ready for mm. what I was kind of reading. And a lot of it felt very, like, oh, my God, like, I've I've read something kind of forbidden. Like, I, this is like a this is a bad book. Like I shouldn't be reading this. And it was, it shocked me for a bit. And I remember like to my young, relatively young mind, uh, being an innocent child, I was like, Oh God, like I have to return this book. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't read this. This is too much. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't look at it for, for several years. Cause I was like, I being such a gentle child, I was like, Oh wow, this is too much for me. Like I can't, I can't handle it. And it wasn't until like a few years later that I went back to it and proper, properly kind of like, um, started to process it. And I realized that it's actually it's actually quite an interesting journey because it's like it's, it's kind of like it's Grant Morrison as a as a kind of creator, kind of really almost like a personal journey for him. He's delving into the worst things that humans can do, like the worst things we can do to each other or to ourselves. And the characters pretty like literally go through hell and it's a hell of human making it's a hell of filth and excrement and shame and regret and i hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say that by the end of it this character who's been brought so low who's been humiliated and lost everything and has no idea who he is and he saw the deep secrets of the heart of reality and it was nothing but you know filth and 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 regret and and accusations and it was all just meaningless and horrible and right at the end there's this little gem where it's like even if you go down and you find that there's nothing but manure at the heart of reality spread it on your flowers you know make mm-hmm. the flowers grow and it's like there's this little gem of hope right at the end of it and even yeah and it's kind of like it took me a while but even amidst all that kind of horror there is something kind of beautiful like hiding in the middle of it and um yeah so it's not a book for the faint hearted and it took me a long time to appreciate it but yeah. yeah it's it's i'd say it's worth reading there's something in there oh definitely and you know, as you say every cloud has a silver lining uh pretty much you know in the darkest moments um you know when the light shines it can be the brightest you know um, oh yeah something can come out of it and i say like if you've ever felt low as well because i think it's also a book where he was he was i think he's he's openly said like he was wrestling with some pretty dark thoughts at the time Uh, at the time it it does feel almost kind of like uh almost transformative it's like you know if you keep digging deeper and you you actually come out on you know you go right round. you come you come out into uh into bright skies yeah it's 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 yeah it's a good book it's very impressive amazing um, and so computron's really starting to get interested in comics <laughs> actually as a medium now you're you're starting to turn around this you know <laughs> this i uh, this ai this evil ai um and uh computron asks what's the most meaningful comic to you um this was without a doubt um easiest question to answer this is uh jla 
volume six colon world war three by grant morrison and howard porter and this isn't necessarily the best comic i've chosen it it isn't i would say even you know the most famous rightly or wrongly it just it's a comic it's the first comic that where i read this and i was like okay there's something more to comics than i realized like it was the journey for me was being on the dandy kind of like uk homegrown comedy comics Mm -hmm. then it was on to like um reading uh some marvel comics you know spider-man uh the avengers uh loved iron man back in the day but again it was all very much like you know some personal drama going on but it's very much like you know fight villain uh, subplot you know it was fun i loved it but it didn't it didn't story yeah very much so yeah and um i i'd never uh, i never i didn't know the justice league Right. Aside from aside from Superman and Batman, who were, you know, in movies and stuff like that, or in cartoons, but I was always like an X Men guy. I was always like a Spider Man guy, and I picked up this book kind of on a whim, and it was not a good jumping on point because a I knew nothing about the JLA aside from Superman and Batman. I knew nothing about this particular run on the book, and this was Volume Six. Like this was the final book in a very long run which grant rising had been doing in 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 the 90s uh, and so you're you're joining a story not just mid-flow but right in the final chapter and it all culminated in this massive i think it was like 14 part conclude like individual issues making up this graphic novel um yeah literally world war three it was like tying up all these plot threads turning into a big global battle wow and I picked it up having no idea what was going on. And and I loved it. It was like the greatest, weirdest thing I'd ever read. And I I just read and reread it and just over and over and over again. And it was strange and weird. And I just couldn't believe that people were taking these big, classic, mythological characters like Superman and Batman and as I discovered, like Green Lantern and Wonder Woman and Flash and all these other characters, which I'd never really heard of. And they were taking all these famous characters and packing them into the weirdest story. And I was like, how are they getting away with this? Like, why aren't these characters just like punching Lex Luthor and then going home for, you know, a nice non-alcoholic drink in the Watchtower? Like, why? It, it was so bizarre. It was like... The the basic plot, if, if for as gross oversimplification, is that mm. over the plot, over the duration of this series, uh, developing the background was the threat of something called Mageddon, and Mageddon, it turns out, was a, it wasn't a god, it was a weapon made by the gods to kill other gods, and it had been sitting in a gravity sink on the edge of the universe for about four billion years. Wow. And now it it had woken up and it was slowly marching towards Earth. And it was looked like a massive, almost bird-like head, even bigger than the solar system. And it had a thing called the anti-sun floating in its forehead, which was its kind of power source. And as it approached Earth, it's, it, it had like a mental effect, which was felt before it arrived. So 
it first manifested in those who had a who were a bit more evil so initially like all the bad guys started becoming a bit more violent all the kind of killers became psychopathic and then brother turned against brother friends became enemies like people started fighting each other and then eventually the mageddon warhead appeared in the sky detonated and i think as one character said then the next thing is the the universe is strewn with four trillion corpses like that's literally and they're like okay that those are the stakes like we have to stop mageddon we literally have to stop the world going to war and somehow find a way to uh, yeah, and then in the midst of all this, the uh, the Justice League, sitting in their kind of proud base atop the moon, are attacked by the Injustice Gang, uh, who happened to be. And bear in mind, I knew nothing about any of this, but they were led by Lex. They were led by Lex Luthor, Luther, who was I was familiar with. Uh, and then there was also the Queen Bee, who was a humanoid bee alien from another planet, like you do. Of course. Uh, the General, who was a massive hulking kind of like figure like basically like the hulk but he had like massive tusks and was kind of um uh just had pink skin and red eyes and basically he was immortal invulnerable and self-regenerating and he'd been imprisoned on (laughs) yeah he'd been imprisoned on an asteroid for a few years and basically he just couldn't die like you could uh cut his arms off and they just regrow back in seconds and then you had Prometheus, who was the anti-Batman. And I, I love this character. Even to this day, I carry like a torch for this character. He was basically the reverse Batman, where he was a child whose parents were criminals right. who were killed by police. And he dedicated his life to destroying law and order. So he traveled the world uh, learning how to fight with different masters around the world. And he'd also developed a system for programming his own nervous system. So he had like a mad costume and he could upload little mini discs into his helmet, which would have different skills on them. So he'd copied Batman's fighting skills onto a disc and then just kind of like popped it into his head. And I was like, and again, sorry, this may be like a theme of the entire, <laughs> our entire discussion is me talking about something which is utterly baffling. And you politely nodding, I can only assume, at home. Uh, but this is how I felt reading it. I was like, I have sure. no idea. I have no idea what's going on. But this is the greatest thing I've ever read. It's amazing. Yeah. It is exactly. aston- astonishing. I loved it to bits. And there's an opening scene where it opens with a riot in a prison where all the prisoners are going mad and they're trying to, uh, you know, they're all trying to kill each other. And the JLA have to try and, you know, descend and stop them. And it opens with Green Lantern who's lost his ring trying to like hand fight these people. And the entire story is told from the perspective of this one Z-list criminal called the Red Dart who's stolen Green Lantern's ring. And while this riot is going on, he goes all the way down into the basement of the prison, into the execution chamber. And there's this amazing shot where he opens the door to the electric chair and sitting on the electric chair like a, like a throne is Prometheus. And all this lightning is kind of crackling through the air. And he goes, as requested, here's the ring. And he goes, you know it will only work for Green Lantern, right? And Prometheus goes, oh, yeah, I know. I need five minutes. Then you can give it back. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever, but I'm 100% committed. Like, yeah, right, I'm on board. <laughs> like, like, right this second, I am in. You've got me. And 
yeah and and that just began this long kind of love affair with the work of Grant Morrison where it, and also it made me want to be a writer like it it right. it properly cemented it for me where I'm like you can tell weird ass stories like really weird stories and you'll somehow get away with it like nobody will stop you and that was it for me I was like I'm in like a hundred percent this is my life now I, I want to write comics and how old were you at this stage oh god I was like oh I must have been like 14 15 something like that like I'd been kind of like toying with it up until that point like I, mm. I was kind of making little stories for myself but I, it was that moment where I was like no this is this is my life like I have a mission now and that's to tell stories and and I kind of blame and thank Grant Morrison for it because mm. it just like the fact that he got away with it meant that anybody could like nobody would stop you it was yeah it was amazing like I I I still go back to it and and it's interesting like the more I go back to it in later life the more I see the kind of like the 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 flaws with it like it's it's by no means it's by no means a work of art like it it it's it just in a very precise moment in time it was exactly the comic that people needed because I think before he uh took over and rebooted the series JLA wasn't a very popular comic like it, it in the 90s it had kind of just fallen by the wayside and then in yeah. in 97 they rebooted it with the magnificent seven with the main seven characters of the justice league and um i think that kind of started a trend which has continued to this day where you know the jla has gone back to being like a, a flagship title for dc yeah definitely um wow uh amazing and so that's where really kind of you as a as a comic creator really started is oh and yeah and i am a shameless uh a shameless grant morrison apologist i feel (laughs) i've i feel i've spent most of my life shamelessly ripping him off basically like i feel i feel at some point somebody's gonna inspired yeah i feel like at some point somebody's gonna i'm gonna be exposed and people are gonna go like hang on a minute he's basically just been recreating it's like my entire career i've been trying to recreate jla volume six like that is the book for me and i feel that's kind of what the final volume of afterlife inc will be like like Mm. having bringing all these plot lines to an end and um yeah i just it, it yeah, sorry. I mean, you got you got you got to give me like an audio kick if I talk too much because I, I could just shout <laughs> oh, like strange, shout man. about these books for too long. Like it. Well, it's it, yeah. it's it's fascinating to try and get um get insights out of people about kind of their influences and things like that. Um and uh, yeah, no, um, I'm I'm all ears, mate. <laughs> really. You're very you're very kind. Give me a soapbox <laughs> and I'll I'll talk for hours. <laughs> excellent um but uh computer wants to move on to the next question um and uh he's, he's impatient he wants it yeah exactly he's <laughs> on it um and so he asks uh what's the most underrated comic then again now i had a, i had a few i had a few contenders uh for this and um i did wonder if i should expand some of my uh choices a bit because i think uh the more i talk the more i realize my uh my uh my reading list is 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 kind of limited to maybe like a few a few favorites but 
I, I think currently the most underrated comic I can imagine is uh, Injection by Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey. Shalvey? Shalvey. I'm probably saying his name wrong. Shalvey. Shalvey. Declan Shalvey. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is... Um, I, I think it's a well-received book. I, I think people love it. It's a modern mm. book uh, out from Image. Uh, have you read it? No. Oh, this is cool. This <laughs> gives me another, another excuse to talk about it. Um, right. The it, I feel like it's one of those pitches where he, Warren Ellis was maybe being cheeky. It's basically like, what if James Bond, the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, Harry Potter, and Sherlock Holmes... What if they all created an AI to make the future more interesting? <laughs> and what if that AI got out of control and started bringing back elements of England's old history, like fairies and goblins, to bedevil the modern world? Amazing. Now, if I said that, if, if I said that to you in polite company, you'd, you'd, you'd probably punch me in the face and you'd be right to do so. Like that is <laughs> that is a that is an insane statement. And yet, that is the book. And it is that core insane concept is hidden under such brilliance that he gets away with it. Like you kind of, you somehow don't even notice that that this is a stupid concept. Like this is a really stupid concept because it, it is brilliant. Like um, I, uh, I've heard a few people say that it's a bit slow and it is admittedly it is a little slow and i i realize that the condi- the conditions that make it perfect for me are not the conditions that will make it perfect for everyone but um the first volume is a little slow volume three is 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 is, is kind of slow as well but i think volume two should be taught in class like volume right. two should be taught as a a absolute masterpiece in structuring a comic like I in in this kind of brave fiction I've crafted for myself where one day I do become a lecturer in comics. Mm. Uh, um, I will teach injection volume two as how to structure a comic because it is. It, it's actually like it's one of those rare books where I read it and I I'm enjoying the story, but I'm also just blown away by the technical craft of it. Like and I don't wish you to downplay and not to downplay Declan Shalvey's artwork because that is astounding as well. Like it is really, really, really just somebody at the top of their game doing incredible work. I mean, there's elements of John Cassidy. Um, there's just a perfect understanding of structure and space and emotion. So the artwork is astounding. Let's just take that as fact. But the story is so elegantly structured. It's it's perfect and yeah, I, I'm just blown away by it every time, and I, I will I will wax lyrical to anyone who will listen. It is a bizarre, strange, just just odd book, and it and it's really really good. And yeah, and and it's basically like five five brilliant people were brought together to address the problem of the future, and they were they were a think tank brought brought together to work out. What will happen to humanity? Will will we destroy ourselves? Will we ascend to greatness? And they found out that actually it will just stagnate. Right. Like the, the future of humanity is basically just a long stretch, stretch of boredom where we don't 
do anything great. We don't do anything terrible. We just, it doesn't get any better than this. We just kind of muddle along forever. And they were like, okay, well, that's a bit disappointing. How can we make the future more interesting? And they come up with the the injection. And the injection is a, a rogue learning AI, kind of fitting given tonight's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe injection. Are you computer on? Maybe he is. Uh, and they injected the injection into the internet and kind of let it loose. And right. the idea is that all these characters, it's like one of them is basically Idris Elba <laughs> playing James Bond. Like it, two of the characters and, and another one is basically, she's basically Doctor Who versus the girl with the dragon tattoo. And the two characters have a discussion at one point about how they'll never let, they'll never let, they'll never let, they'll never let Doctor Who be a woman and they'll never let James Blop, James Bond be black. <laughs> and we're halfway there. So, you know, it was kind of prophetic. Um, yeah, it's like they, it's like, well, we've, we, we kind of take the best of all of us and kind of, we've got uh, a scientist, an engineer, uh, a spy, a strategist, a detective. We're going to put all of this stuff into this AI so it can learn from all of us and become like our child. And 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 then the fifth member of the group is he's he keeps telling people he's not a wizard. Like and the government keeps trying to hire him to be their wizard, and he keeps telling you them, "I'm not a wizard. Magic doesn't exist. I'm a folklorist. I study the history of England." And and yet despite definitely definitely not being a wizard he's really not a wizard can't stress that enough <laughs> a lot of weird stuff keeps happening and he may or may not have put an old spirit into the ai yeah so okay. it's weird it's both looking back at old english folklore and looking forward at technology in this weird way that only warren ellis kind of can and it's insane and brilliant and it is a very oddly british book and um yeah i i i love it and i can't wait for the next volume uh, but i still think volume two is an absolute masterpiece and um and if i if study this <laughs> i yeah again like i we'll have pointers we can we can read it and 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 bring back field notes but i just um yeah i if if it wasn't so good i'd be angry that I hadn't come up with it. You know what I mean? Like I I'd hate, I'd hate you Warren Ellis if you weren't so damn brilliant. So yeah, it's damn. very good. Damn you, you swine. I'm so jealous. Excellent. Um, and uh, talking of uh, greatness, our next question is for you. Uh, what's the best comic of all time? Um, it has to be all star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank quietly. Brilliant. Have you read this one? I have not. Ah, this is well. I, I'm a, a. I'm mock annoyed. I'm not annoyed, but I'm a <laughs> mock annoyed, and B. I'm kind of happy because it means I get to talk about it. But uh, yeah, it's actually been on my reading list because it, it has come up before in a previous episode. Um, but because of the fact that I've done quite a few of these episodes, now, <laughs> my reading list has just got out of control. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, presumably, you need to drink and eat and care for yourself and your loved ones occasionally as well like you <laughs> yeah, know occasionally there's only so much reading you can fit into into it's one right. day um well i i i got i've got to say like um clearly as as you can tell from our discussion i, I love the work of grant morrison it, it it really did change my life and 
all-star Superman is maybe his uh, just magnus opus. Um, and, and, and Frank Whiteley is possibly... I'm not going to say he's the greatest because I, I think I haven't done the research, but I definitely can say he's one of the greatest comic book artists alive today. Like he yeah. is astonishing. And when the two of them work together, it's, it's magic. Like, um, you know, it's those moments where, where you see Frank quietly work with, with other people and he does tremendous work. He always does tremendous work, but there's something about, when Grant and Frank are working together, where it's more than the sum of its parts. Like they understand each other. They play off each other. It's like they're one person creating on the page. And it is, it's astonishing. I don't think any artist alive has mastered Frank Quitely's ability to give characters uh, a weight and a gravitas where it feels like they're moving in physical space, despite being on a two dimensional page. Like he is, astounding and and i mean like all-star superman is is maybe just one of the most moving uplifting kind of transcendental pieces of work i've 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 ever read it is there's something about superman where as a character he's easy now to dismiss because he's he's maybe he's been done to he's been done to death and and i think in the hands of people who don't understand his value quite as much he's just strong flying punchy man and it it was like one of the you know the the classic example classic problems of superman is how do you write a story with stakes or challenge when your main character is invincible like if literally he can solve everything by punching uh, where do you go from there? What are how how does this character suffer? Where, where are the challenge and um, where where is the challenge? And, and All Star Superman does it perfectly, and, and it's almost like they they address that and and lean into it. Where in the first issue his powers get boosted a thousand fold, like a million fold, like he's suddenly stronger than ever, and he's dying, and before he dies. Superman is said to have completed 12 legendary tasks. And it's all about Superman trying to come to terms with his death and trying to do to get everything in order before he goes. Mm-hmm. And it's something like the thing about this version of Superman, which is so perfect, is that he's he effortlessly effortlessly comes across as both your best friend and the perfect father figure where being told that he is about to die he doesn't scream or cry or laugh or anything he just accepts it like he instantly and and it's, it's a way of writing a supposedly perfect character like isn't it hard like i want to write a flawless character well surely that's a boring character and they somehow find a way to tell the tale of a flawless perfect i guess almost saintly character who is somehow compelling who i 
I believe and am, and am committed to the story of his character, even though he's essentially flawless and I shouldn't be able to relate to him. And that's because he really does embody the best in in all of us. I think um, Mark Wade, when he was writing his his kind of introduction for the book, he said the thing about this particular version of Superman is not it's not what he does. It's how he inspires the people around him. It's like his very presence makes people better. Mm. They strive to be better. And I mean, I mean, there's so many moments in this book I could I could talk about. I mean, uh, I, I will refrain because I know we can't talk forever. But uh, one of the more famous moments which um, everyone talks about is, is the moment where Wayne Superman when his death is coming closer, this is one of the later issues, and he's starting to feel the effects of oncoming his own destruction, the supposedly immortal, perfect being. You follow a day in his life. We follow 24 hours in the life of Superman, which is also mirrored by the history of the universe. So wow. no pressure there. So we're following yeah. a, day, a day in the life of Superman, and we're following the, the, yeah, the entire history of the universe from Big Bang through to the final millisecond in which humans come into existence and in everything that superman does in one day where we see him travel to incredible worlds we see him stop save a train from crashing we see him fight a giant robot there's this weird little subplot where while he's fighting a robot and while he's kind of saving this train you see a man in the crowd kind of talking into his phone and he's shouting to, you know, he's panicked and he's talking to this uh, somebody called Regan. And he's saying like, you know, no, 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 don't hang up the phone. I got held up. I'm coming. Just don't do anything rash. I'm coming. Don't hang up the phone. And you think it's almost like a throwaway moment. And then in, in between all these kind of like impossible godlike feats, you, you, you see this girl and she's kind of standing on the edge of a building and she's looking at this drop below her and you see her just kind of throw her her mobile phone off the edge of the building and you know she's she's crying and and she's scaring at the edge and then suddenly superman is behind her and he just goes your doctor really did get held held up like and um he goes and he and he just gives her a hug and he just says you know you're you're so much stronger than you think you are and and it's just this most like incredibly powerful moment where he's dying, you know, and he's just been doing all this incredible like godlike things like saving the world. And yeah, and I don't think any scene has perfectly kind of captured the emotion of a character, the, the spirit of a character so perfectly. And and yeah, it's just the most kind of astonishing piece of work. And and I think um yeah, at the risk of you know, just forever rambling about this. The only other thing I find really interesting about it is that we're all really familiar with the kind of dichotomy of um, Clark Kent and Superman. You know, Superman is perfect. Clark mm-hmm. Kent is a, is a bumbling, clumsy kind of fool, really. And I always remember something quite profound that Grant Morrison said, where he said, there is a third personality that we never really talk about and that third personality is the real clark kent where Mm -hmm. clark kent is a big 
strong, confident, kind of handsome guy who grew up on a farm who stands up to bullies and had a lot of friends and had a whole kind of life ahead of him. And when, you know, when Clark became Superman, when he accepted that kind of fate, he also he also kind of became the Clark Kent we know. He also became this kind of caricature of a a weak, imperfect person. And the 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 tragedy of Superman is that he kind of gave up this normal life. Like the person who died for Superman to be born is this normal lad who, you know, kind of like was confident and outgoing. And um, there's a really... Uh, as much as like, that previous scene is moving, like there's a there's a scene that really that really gets me where Superman has pretty much died. Like he thinks, you know, you think he's dead. And in that brief moment, he has like a vision where he's back on Krypton and he's lived an alternate life with his with his father, Jor-El, on prison on, on Krypton. And he um, it's just a great moment where he he says, you know, you know, you're you're dying cal like your you, your body is converting into solar radiation this is the end and you know you've given humanity a symbol i, I mean i think they use some of this these lines in in the man of steel movie but it's like you know because of you you know they will humanity has something to aspire to they will follow they'll stumble and fall but eventually they'll join you in the sun like and eventually you won't be alone anymore because he is lonely, as perfect as he is, he is kind of lonely. And it's just this really this moment that really gets me, where in this weird kind of vision, Superman or Kal El or Clark Kent is like, no, like I I don't want to die. Like this is my life. Like why me? Like why did it have to happen to me? And that always stuck with me because it's like again for a character who's supposedly perfect and who has this kind of uh, perfect acceptance of his own his own death and his own how he has to become a symbol. Um, yeah, it's kind of like just like a little hint of tragedy where like yeah. he, he, he took the burden, but it'd be kind of amazing if he, if he, if he hadn't had to, if he could have just lived a, a normal life, which he never really got. So yeah, it is, <laughs> it's a, it's a great book. Like I, I, yeah. And it's funny and it's kind of action packed and the artwork is amazing. And I, I go back to it every now and then because it is just so yeah powerful to me it's it's lovely love it to bits it just hits all the all the all the notes in the right way mm. um by the sounds of it that's in, that's incredible and it will make um, you love it will make you love superman especially if you ever thought he was yeah. a, a boring character it's oh yeah it, yeah yeah definitely um by the sounds of it because uh, yeah you're quite right it's uh, it's incredibly difficult to, to to write for such a character um but obviously grant morrison is one of those people that can, can oh do yeah that um, and get it across in a way where you can kind of look at it from different perspectives. Oh, and and it may, and the thing is, like, it's one of those weird things where it's the perfect book at the right time as well. Right. Like, it's it's one of those kind of career defining books. Like, I mm-hmm. I I don't think you'll ever write anything quite as incredible as that. And oh, I think it's difficult to top something like that. Yeah, and I think now you have you don't need to. You know, that's the one. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's beautiful. Really beautiful. Amazing. And so you've really pulled on the on the heartstrings of Computron. <laughs> and he uh he says, Well, okay, so you can I will 
I will uh, give you one of these comics that you can that you can keep because I, I I fully intend to destroy all of human. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, human and culture and their reading material like he's exactly. he's he's vindictive oh very much so uh <laughs> however you as one of his prized humans uh gets to keep uh one comic uh, and what comic is that uh i it's got to be oscar superman yeah yeah it's got to be there's really no no competition and i think uh for the exact same reasons that you've you very kindly let me waffle on for so long about it like it is it's a beautiful book and i couldn't live without it amazing well there you go you've got that um and then on top of that um you're you're allowed a weapon tool or useful item alongside of all-star superman and and what is that well it's got it's got to be tin foil i mean a instant disguise two you know keeps keeps the heat in your lasagna and uh i imagine pasta will survive the apocalypse and so you know my, my tray bakes they i don't want a crusty top on them always got to have a uh a roll of bako foil oh yeah i mean oh yeah oh yeah like you, you don't want if i'm going to be salvaging goods from kind of like ruined supermarkets like once i pop the lid i want that to be fresh like for as long as possible and i, I think tin foil is just you know, it's just it's just gonna just make sense. And if I get bored, you know, could kind of kind of try and scrunch it into a ball. You know, do that weird polishing thing where you get like a perfectly uh, perfectly polished sphere of aluminium. Yeah, you, you know. can kind of make swans and make swans. Oh, you know, fun <laughs> party hats. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, stick it in a lemon, make a couple of conductors, maybe get a battery running. You know, ooh, maybe maybe create an EMP. I create an EMP out of lemon batteries and, and tin foil and uh, trade, uh, you know, trade the precious minerals uh, contained within with the uh, with the uh, cave people who will inevitably rise up and will be hunger for jewels and jewels and treasures from the surface. Nice, nice, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for for sharing all of your, your comics and, and insights today, John. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, it's been a, a genuine pleasure, Sam. And um i'm so sorry for having spoken so much thank you thank you for the opportunity it's been great all right quite all right um and for the listeners one more time where can they find you uh yeah either go to uh www.bigpunchstudios.com that's got a link to everything we do or www.afterlife-inc.com brilliant and are you going to any cons at all this year yeah, we are. We are going to be at MCM Manchester in July. We're going to be at the MCM Scotland in September. We're going to be back at MCM London in October. And we're going to be uh, MCM Birmingham in November. So, yes, quite MCM heavy wow. for the rest of the year. Sure. But that's uh, that's where you want to be. Yeah, and uh, we 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 may well even have sandwich masks with us as well. So oh, brilliant at that time. Great. Yeah, yeah, we were keeping busy, you know. <laughs> very, very fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time today, John. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully our paths will uh, will cross in real life. I that would be a genuine pleasure, Sam. I think at the very least I owe you a beer for uh, for your your patience. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. Take and, and 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 god knows we need beer in this kind of apocalyptic scenario oh, yeah, so that's, that's something else that you're gonna have to bring in 
No, I should have chosen beer, not foil. <laughs> Damn you. Yeah, home home beer making kit. Brilliant. Okay, John, thanks a lot, mate. Oh, thank you so much. Bye. Thanks again to John for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was enlightening, to say the least. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out John's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.